0: When I'm slamming all the doors you've opened, hold on to me, hold on to me, hold on to me. To face with
1: We sing to the goodness of our Father and your faithfulness, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we do, Heavenly Father, that you love us, that this morning we woke up and had breath means that you were faithful, that this morning we had food means that you were faithful. That this morning we got to speak to someone that we love. means that you are faithful. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Hear our praise in this place. We love you, Lord. We love you. Thank you,
2: Lord. I don't know what you think about when we sing this song, when we sing, All my life you've been faithful. And it says... You've led me through the fire. Can you give an amen if he's led you through the fire? Come on. Thank you, Lord. So why don't you just give him just 10 seconds of your time right now and just give him your prayer, just your gratitude, a prayer of gratitude before we sing this song. goodness and your faithfulness. We sing this song as a declaration to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Come on, church, why don't we sing this
0: together?
2: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Isn't he? So worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. So worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for You. All oh, we believe, Lord. Yeah. And Jesus, the name above every other name. And Jesus, the only One who could ever say You're worthy of every breath. We could ever breathe, we live for you. song. you, Lord. Lord, we are so grateful to be in your presence, Jesus. Lord, that knowing that despite no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, we come in here some with victories and some coming in just completely defeated, Jesus. We understand that. Lord. Despite all that, Lord, we can still all together say, Lord, I will build my life upon your love because it is a firm foundation, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise, Lord. Lord, now we dedicate this time to you, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship, Lord, with you, with our brothers and our sisters in Christ, Lord. We give you thanks for that, Jesus. We celebrate your love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you just celebrate the Lord tonight with me, church? Hey, while you're at it, why don't you greet your neighbor right quick, church? Amen. Just thank him for being here tonight. Yes. Amen. Amen and amen. What an awesome time of worship. I see tears flowing. I see tears flowing. Am I lying? Or do my lying eyes deceive me? Because I know mine are. And the Spirit of God is present in this place. We want to welcome you into service tonight, church. We want to welcome those watching from home and from afar, from across the pond. Believe it or not, we have a lot of people watching from across the pond. We welcome them into the house tonight as well. Can we celebrate them tonight, church? Come on, welcome them as well. It's so awesome to have them in the house tonight with us. My name is Pastor Michael Romero. I'm your worship and arts pastor here at New Beginnings. And again, I welcome you. Our leadership welcomes you here at church. Man, church, if you don't know what's going on, I want to catch you up. I'm going to ask the the media team if they can do me a favor. And uh, media team, if you would do me a favor and pop up that screen there with that QR code on the pre-roll, if you would. I want to pop up that QR code. I know I I, I didn't give these guys a heads up, but they're pretty quick. Uh, let's see when that QR code, that QR code, guys, I want you guys to, to pop that up. If you guys can, that's at home. And those of you here tonight, that QR code is going to give you the um, direct link to our app. And so if you've not downloaded our app, I want you guys to download our app because there's a, I don't know, if I, what did I just say? I want you to download our app. Enunciate? I want you to download the app. In that app you're able to catch up on what's going on in the life of new beginnings, okay? And so a lot is going on. So much is going on. We try to catch up and try to keep that up to date, but there's always something going on. Let me tell you some of the things that we're doing. So as that stays up there for just a quick second, uh, I want you guys to know kind of what's going on here in the immediate in the next couple of days. Like this coming Friday, guys, we have a food distribution, a big one. This is the big, the big one. So we have a food distribution that we do every Tuesday and Thursday from nine to one uh, for the community. Of course, the next one as well is open to the community. So everybody's kind of used to the nine to one. We we give uh, a meal for 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 a family of four. This one that we get about once a month is full of protein. We have food, uh, protein, fruits, vegetables. Uh, we have like cereals. We have just canned goods fresh vegetables, not just like canned vegetables, like fresh vegetables, and so we want you to participate. If you know somebody that might be in need of a, a, a food meal box, or meal box, or maybe you need one, I want to invite you to come in. It's going to be this Friday, and it begins at, uh, it's going to be at, from 11 to 3 here at the church, and you can just show up here at the front in suite 111, or is that 112, right? 112. It's going to be suite 112, and if... If maybe you don't need one, but maybe you still want to get involved. We want to invite you to get involved. Uh, we need volunteers because that's a big one. A big semi pulls up, and we need volunteers. We need a lot of muscle. And uh, if you can volunteer and help, that would be greatly appreciated. We need you here at 1030. If you want to help, that would be really, really, really appreciated. Um, in that as well, on February the 25th, I know a lot of you have been asking about. Hey, when is when is Joy going to get back together? When is Joy going to start getting back together? Uh, Joy is a ministry for our senior youth, and by sen- senior youth is by our senior elders, our senior congregants, just older youth. Okay, and so our Joy, our Joy uh, fellowship is going to be getting together starting again on the f- 25th, and uh, they'll meet the last Friday of every month for. Uh, i a fellowship and a potlucks, and those for 55 years and older. And if you'd like to sign up, I want you to give a call to the front office. Okay? And if anything else, you can catch up with Brother, uh, Brother Michael or Sister Jeanette here in the front. Kind of wave your hand kind of here. They're, they're kind of hanging out with Pastor before and after service. You can kind of hang out with them as well and ask them questions about joy. If, if you're 55 and up and older and you want something to do, and you're just kind of like, they're, they're, they're the key people for the last two things that I just spoke about, which is just older youth as well as the food distribution that we're talking about on Friday. So if you want to help in any way or you need maybe a meal box, get with them. If you want to participate in just older youth, get with them, okay? They're the, going to be your point persons in that, okay? And we want to thank everybody this last Sunday uh, we we kind of made a, a big announcement on volunteers, and, man, did we get a great response, and we want to say thank you so very much. On Sunday, we spoke a little bit about the need that we have here at New Beginnings for Volunteers. None of this, guys. We have so much going on. I wish I could read everything that's on this uh, piece of paper that we have going on. But we have always, there's always something going on, and all of this could not happen without our volunteers. So I want you guys to celebrate our volunteers. Can you celebrate our volunteers? All of our services, they go off mostly without a hitch. Without our volunteers, we couldn't do it. I mean, we have ushers, greeters from the second you walk in, ushers, greeters. On Sundays, we have people making uh, coffee, serving donuts. They get here early to do that. Our audiovisual team, our worship team, they're all volunteers. Our security team, our teachers, our youth leaders, our children's department, we thank them all. All of them are understaffed right now. And, yeah, you can celebrate them again. They deserve a lot of it. They really do, man. <laughs> you know why? Because you all know your kids. you all know taking care of Bebe's kids isn't easy. If you're laughing, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, church, I'm going to make a challenge to you. If, if you want to participate in the life of New Beginnings and what's going on and how we're impacting this community um, and some people say, well, I give my tithe, and that's cool, and that's great. I, I love that you do that, but, man, boots on the ground. Boots on the ground is is, is what we need as well, and if, if, if you just don't know what, what to do and you say, well, I want to do something I just don't know what to do, go on that app, and in that app you can scroll down, and you'll see the graphic that says Join Our Team, and you'll be able to click that, and you can fill out that application. And typically, I will get a hold of you. And I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out. I'll figure what, wh- where do you fit? Wh- where do you want to be? Wh- what are your gifts? Uh, what do you like to do? You know, uh, one time um, I was put, I, I was living out of town. I was living in West Texas one time. And I said, well, I want to get involved. And I said, anywhere, anywhere you need me, I'll do it. And they put me in the children's department. And if you're laughing, it's because you know me a little bit. And I <laughs> Probably not the best fit for me is the children's department. Uh, Love the kids, but I don't know if I'm gifted in that area. Um, But I want to put exactly where your gifts are and where we can use you and where you're going to be happy and last in ministry and grow in ministry. Okay? And so we want to place you right in the perfect spot for you. So I want to challenge you that if you don't know where to go, if you say, I don't know where to start, that's where you start just filling out that application I call you, we get a hold of you, then you end up talking to our executive pastor, you end up talking to our our, our lead pastor, you end up talking to the the ministry leader, and just making sure that everything is going to be good for you guys. You get to talk to, you know, if you're interested in security, you get to talk to Pastor Carrillo and say, hey, this is where I want to be. Okay, cool, but I want to challenge you, first step, fill out that application. Okay, that's a part of being a life. The other part of being a life of the church, the everyday part of the life of the church, is, of course, your giving. And we want to thank you so much for that. And if you haven't done that yet, we want to remind you that those giving boxes are in uh, at the entrance uh, of every uh, at the entrance of every doorway here into the sanctuary. And of course, our digital platforms are always available to you as well. And in that church, I used to do commercials for micro machines. If you're not laughing, you're too young for me, bro. All right, Pastor Richard, why don't you come and take over? All right, why don't we welcome our pastor? Well.
3: Don't you just love Pastor Michael? (laughs) I love that guy. Uh, Guys, we are so blessed to have in our congregation so many gifted and talented people. And one of those people is Reverend Anthony Griego. Reverend Griego is uh, not only an engineer by trade, is it an electrical engineer? Yeah, he's an electrical engineer. They're the ones that design how the power is going to flow through a building, how much you're going to need here, or on and on. So he's going to come here today and engineer us through the Word of God. He's going to be a spiritual engineer and lead us to the power that will help you live in victory. And he's doing this study called In the Beginning Was the Word to take us into the Word and explain to us how you and I can have great victory As we get to understand it. And tonight he's teaching an amazing subject on why the Bible is believable. So you need to take notes. You need to get your Bible ready. You need to get your notepad ready or your phone on notes. You could go to our app, and right there are the notes, and that way you could follow along. But would you please welcome Reverend Anthony Griego to the pulpit?
4: <clears throat> let's pray father we thank you Lord so much for this opportunity to be here this evening I pray dear God that you would be glorified in all that in all that we study father that you would help us that you would lead us that you would guide us father that you would strengthen us to your glory we ask in Jesus name amen have thought that I would ever be here in front of anybody tonight. You know, last week I mentioned the fact that the Lord had led me to, to himself through a Bible study while I was in high school at Albuquerque High. And then from there I went to UNM and there the Lord led me to a group of Christians called the Navigators. And I mentioned that they are considered like, you know, the Marine Corps of Christian groups. And nobody, nobody in their wildest... Dreams would have ever looked at me when I was in either high school or even at the university, and mistaken me for anything resembling Marine Corps, either physically or spiritually. That wasn't me. I was just me, and yet God has taken and blessed me, and 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 given me opportunities that I pray uh, will bless you. So. <clears throat> Why can we believe the Bible? I, I, I normally teach um, at three different schools, one a seminary and then two different Bible colleges. The Bible college that I teach in, in Ukraine, which is in, in peril at this moment. Um, one of the courses that I teach that I really enjoy is apologetics, which is basically how you would talk to somebody if you were trying to convince them that, that, it, was, that it made sense to believe in God and to accept Christ as God. And, and I share with them this story that once I was sharing the gospel with this woman, and she asked me, she said, why do you believe what you believe? And me, you know, having been trained as a good navigator, I pulled out 2 Timothy 3.16, and I say, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Exactly what I said, Right? And she turns to me and she says, you can't prove the Bible from the Bible. That doesn't make any sense. Now this woman wasn't just any woman. This woman was a nun. This woman was a sister. This woman was my older sister. And she had already been in the convent for some years. But she had no... No idea that the Bible was even trustworthy, much less believable. And so tonight we could look at several different reasons why we could trust the Bible. But yet there will never be enough proof to prove to somebody who doesn't want to believe. And you'll see what I mean. We could look at archaeological evidence, right? That you can get online and you can see exactly year by year how many different archaeological finds were found in each year that prove that the scriptures are accurate. You can look at fulfilled prophecy and I'm sure many of you have done that, right? You look at the prophecies of the Old Testament you see how they've been fulfilled in the New Testament. You can also look at the continuity of the Bible that through all 66 books over, over 40 authors over 1500 years and it Maintains one basic theme throughout the scripture. You can look at the c- countless testimonies of people whose lives have been radically changed because of the Word. There's no other explanation that they would offer you but for the fact that God ch- changed their life through the Word. And then you can look at the history of the Jewish people themselves, right? My wife and I were traveling once, we met this Jewish couple from Israel. And we struck up a conversation with them. And like, usually I'm trying to, you know, get the gospel to them. And as we're sitting at coffee with this couple, they turn to me and say, you know what? We don't even believe that there's a God. And I said, I can understand that. You know, in light of the Holocaust, I can understand that you've given up on God. And this fellow, Abraham was his name. He turns to me and he says, now why do you believe that there's a God? And I turn to him and I say, Because of you? And he says, what do you mean? I says, there's no reason in this world why the Jewish people should be a people today. When's the last time you ran into a Perizzite or a Canaanite, right? The Jews were no bigger than, they were smaller than these other tribes. And how is it that they survived through all this, including the Holocaust? I tell them, I believe in God because of you. You. Because God promised that he would keep your people. And look at you. You're here having coffee with me, right? So lots of reasons we can say that we believe in the word of God. But we're going to focus on three that I haven't covered yet. One is that it is reliable. It is textually tested word by word. Now, what I mean by that is is Jesus assures us in Matthew 5.18 that God is able to preserve his word to us. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So in sharing the gospel with somebody, in, in fact, let me let me step aside here for a moment. I normally would present a lot of this as part of a, a lecture in a, in a college. So, so that's where this was going initially. And about slide number 60, my wife pulls me aside and says, you know what? That may be overkill for 35 minutes on a Wednesday night, right? And, and fortunately for you, I actually listened to her this time. <laughs> so there's only 35 slides, all right? But the point being is that God says he was gonna preserve his word for us. And people, if you're trying to share the gospel, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, the Bible is written just by men, right? And the Bible's full of errors, right? Now, if you're taking an apologetic stand with somebody and you're trying to win their, their trust, I try very hard to agree with them as much as I can. So I'll say, yes, you're right. You know, the Bible is written by men. And yes, there are errors, provided we understand what those errors are that you're referring to. And so this first point is the fact that the Bible is reliable. Let me explain why we can say so. So the original scriptures that are written, we believe that the original New Testament scriptures, or they're referred to as autographs, okay, are inspired by God having no errors, none whatsoever. But, in fact, in fact, we take the stand of the Bible being inerrant, that is, without error, and that when we state it like this, you can give me that slide, I think it's next here, the doctrine of inerrancy, it reads pretty close to this, almost to most truly biblical churches. It says, we believe the Holy Spirit moved through men, godly men, to write the books of the Bible, to accurately communicate the words of God to us. We believe these writings are without error. In their original form, the autographs. So an autograph, we think of something that, you know, a celebrity gives you. In technical terms, the, the Gospel of John that John sat down and wrote, that, that paper is referred to as an autograph, in original, okay? So here we are. Um, you can go to the next slide. The problem with autographs is that they wear out right? If any of you have carried your Bible for so many years, after a while, you know that thing's coming apart, right? And you put glue on it, and you put tape on it, but it, it's coming apart. Well, here in this case, for the New Testament autographs, they were written on papyrus, and you can see on that picture that it's grass that is woven together and dried, flattened, and then that's what they wrote on, and that's Mark chapter 8 but they wear out. And as they wear out, copies have to be made. And so the copies are all made by hand before the printing press, right? And if you ever try to copy something by hand and then have somebody else read what you wrote and then copy it, you can end up with some different different messages, correct? So if I gave you this experiment... And this is what we do in, in, in class, actually. For uh, as many as there are in here, if I said, okay, I'm going to give you a year to take your Bible, whatever version it is, if it's New Living Version or New American Standard or King James or whatever, and I'm going to assign you the task of making a handwritten copy of your Bible. Because, you see, that's what had to, had to happen if somebody was going to make a copy now, let me tell you what happens if after a year we all come back together and say we actually started from the same version, okay? Say it's the New, new Living Translation. So we come back a year later and we all have our autographs, our, our copies at that point, right? Now, what do you think the odds are that if we pulled any two copies from the audience and compared them word for word, that they're going to agree 100%? You know that's not going to happen, right? That isn't that isn't that isn't going to happen. And so, what you'll find is that as copyists were copying the autographs, there were errors that were made. Okay, but let me show you some of those errors, and I'll show you explain to you what I mean. The first one is an accidental change in the first. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it reads, they have all drunk of one spirit. Now, if you can look up in, uh, next to spirit, there's three Greek letters. It's pi, mu, alpha. It looks like pi and then M and A. Bear with me here. One scribe, as he is copying this, he slips in O between the pi and the, the M. And it changes what the word is. So instead of it reading, I'll have drunk of one spirit, it now reads, I'll have drunk of one drink. Okay? He didn't mean to do that, but errors are going to happen, correct? Let me show you a second accidental change. This one is from John seventeen fifteen, and it reads, I do not ask that you keep them from the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, this particular scribe who is copying this, he, he, he missed world, but that you keep them from the, so his version reads the, the second line down, I do not ask that you keep them from the evil one. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right, but it got past him, that error got past him thing is, is see, quite often they would they would make multiple copies at the same time. And so if somebody was reading this in the Greek, you would have 10, 10 men doing copies at the same time, but not all of them would have missed that. Okay, let me show you an intentional change. Here's one in Matthew 24, verse 36, and it reads in the NLT, however, no one knows that day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son himself, only the Father knows. Now, this particular scribe didn't understand how Jesus couldn't know when the end of the world came, so in his copy, he took that out. How do you like that? He took out not even the Son. Another example of an intentional change is in Luke 5 thirty eight and thirty nine and it reads in the King James Version but new wine must be put into old new into new bottles and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straight away desireth new for he saith the old is better. You can tell I don't normally read from the King James, right? <clears throat> but this scribe didn't understand how Jesus could say that the Judaism was better than Christianity so in his copy, he omitted the old is better. Now, Old Testament manuscripts were made, the copies were made by trained scribes, right? That's, that was their, these men's professions. They would That's what they did. And so they actually had a list of rules that they had to follow if they were going to make a copy. Let me give you a couple of these. They could only use clean animal skin. For the Old Testament, they actually used what was called vellum. It was animal skin, and they would write on the skin. Each column of the writing would have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. They, they, they said it has to be within this number of lines. The ink had to be black and of a special recipe. They must verbalize each word aloud as they're writing it. You ever do that? If things are important, you you verbalize it, right? They must wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies before writing the word Jehovah every time they wrote it. Yeah. Number six, there, there would be a review within 30 days of what they had written, and if as many as three pages required corrections, the entire thing was disposed of they didn't have any white out okay it was done deal finally the letters and words and paragraphs had to be counted page by page because they figured if the count matched it was probably a good copy if it didn't match they would have caught some of those errors right where somebody took out something but you see for the new testament writers you think about the people that jesus attracted right did he have a whole host of scribes following after him? He had common people, right? And so for these people, they, they didn't apply as careful rules, if you will, in their copies. But what happened there is there were many, many copies made. In fact, today we have over 5,000 Greek copies of the Scriptures alone. Some of them are very small fragments. Some of them are entire books. But they made lots of copies. And so what happens here is that, is that with all these copies, they knew that there were, well, it wasn't apparent that there were errors between copies, right? If you only had one copy of Scripture, and that's all you ever had, you wouldn't know whether there was a line missing or not, would you? But what happens is, is is that uh, as soon as you begin looking at other copies, you start to realize something's missing here or something is added here. Got that? So what happens is that there is. Uh, let me find this here. Ah, it comes later. So even in the time that the King James Version was was translated, there were copies that were used that were not the best copies. It's not to say it's not a good translation, but one of those errors that I gave you before is actually found in the King James Version. What happens, though, is that there was a man in the in 1707, he was an Oxford scholar who worked 30 years of his life, and he, comp- he gathered together as many copies as he could of the New Testament, and he studied them comparing them one to the other, to the other, through the entire New Testament. Can you imagine? Without a computer? 30 years of his life, and he counted up more than 30,000 variations from copy to copy to copy. Now, a lot of believers, they got upset with him because they thought he was trying to undermine the Word of God. You don't want to do that, right? And he would say, I'm not against the Word of God. I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. But it came in 1831, just over 100 years after him, there was a a Greek, I'm I'm sorry, a German scholar by the name of Karl Lachmann, who published a new Greek New Testament. And what he did, he established a science called textual criticism. And you ought, to, you ought to get used to saying that because when you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they throw up, oh, there's errors in the scripture, you can say, are you aware of textual criticism methods? And you'll say, oh, what is that, you know? And you'll be able to nail them and you know, tell them, yeah, I'll show you, you know, <laughs> in, in a godly manner, of course. So what he does is he understands that there are all these variations, copy to copy, got me? But he realizes that there are some copies that appear to have more errors than other copies. And so what he does is he, he gathers together what they call families of manuscripts. And I think the next slide probably shows it. So here, I don't know if you can see all this. If you look at the red one, this would be, for example, the Gospel of John, the autograph that John himself wrote, okay? And he sends it to some person, One person there. And that person, as he is reading John's gospel, he decides, you know, I need to make some copies of this, so I'm going to send it to five different people. And then those five different people, they now have a copy of John's gospel. But then they make five more copies each, and they send it to five more people. You can see in three generations, there's 125 copies of the gospel of John. And if you'll go to the next slide, Oh, by the way, you know, statistically, not all those copies are going to be identical, right? Everybody with me? But if you look at this, those copies went out to different areas of the Christian world at that time. Some went to Caesarea, which is northern Israel. Some went to Alexandria, which is Egypt. Some went to Rome. Some went to Turkey. And some, they're not sure exactly where. They just call it mixed. So, so Carl Lachman, he says, I've identified these five families of manuscripts, okay? And I know that the Alexandrian, that they were always more careful in their copies than any of the families. And so what he does, if he finds something in the Alexandrian that they, or in the Caesarean that isn't in any of the other copies, he says, I can tell which is what the error is. Because when you have that many copies and you group them by families, it isn't that hard to determine what is wrong in the copy or what's been added, right? Everybody follow with? So this is called textual criticism. It sounds like it's a bad thing because it sounds critical, right? But it isn't. It's a good thing. In fact, he made his mark in history, not so much he, because he did this for the Bible. He did this for anything, And so what he can do is he would take any old document and if there were multiple copies, he could get you back pretty much to the original by this method. And there is not another document in the entire world that has as many copies as the scriptures do. So it gave him even greater confidence that today we have a copy of the scriptures. I believe that is as close to the original as God could preserve for us. You, does that make sense so what it is you can think of it this way if you in 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 days of old if you were going on a on a on a sea voyage you didn't take two compasses you either took one or you took three because if you took one then you would look at the one you had and you'd say that's north it has to be right or if you had two if one of them was off you'd say well this one says north is this way this one says North is this way, which is real, right? But if you take three, you get it? With three, you can say, okay, two look like they're pointing this way. It's this one that's the wrong one. And so that's what happens here is that that there is a science that allows us to look at 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 the manuscripts, the copies that we have of the scriptures, and to be able to work them back, to the original document. So in this case here, I believe that the scriptures, the Bible is believable because it's been textually, critically evaluated word for word, every word across more than 5,000 copies. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? The second thing we're going to look at is to why the Bible is believable It's realistic, and what I I mean by that, it fits reality. If you'll go to the next slide. Okay, it's realistic, it fits reality. Let me ask you, uh, well, first I'll tell you, you know what the Bible does? It tells us the truth about the world. It tells us the, the truth about us. That's what it does. It doesn't pull any punches. The first time I opened up the Bible as a kid, I was shocked. Good night. Who who let them put sin in the Bible? Look at all this sin. You know, that's not supposed to be in a holy book, right? But it tells you like it is. Now, let me ask you a question. An incumbent politician is going to stand before you and they're going to tell you, whatever the situation is in the world, that what they're doing is, going to, is making progress for you, correct? That we're making progress. That's what they want you to believe. And the thing is, the politician who is running for office is going to tell you that they can make whatever the situation is better. Yes, yes, you ought to run for office. <laughs> That's what they want you to believe. Correct? But let's go to Second Timothy three Second Timothy chapter three verse one. And I'll give you a minute. The scripture tells a different story. It tells us this it said you should know this, Timothy. This is Paul writing to Timothy that in the last days there will be very difficult times. and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Does the Bible describe it? It did in in Timothy's day. It does in our day. I am not fatalistic, okay? It's not like I believe, you know, nothing good can ever happen. But I truly believe that real and lasting peace will only come when the Prince of Peace comes. And we can try all we want, and we should, to redeem this society. But we're not making progress, at least not to the extent that we'd like to, right? Because God, God's word tells us this is the way it's going. And we're grateful, that at least that he's sovereign, right? Sovereign in our lives. So progress Not only does the Bible tell us about the world that we live in, honestly, but it tells us about ourselves. Let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Here, Paul again is writing, and he says, So the trouble is not with the law, and he's talking about his struggle, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what? Uh, for I want to do what is right, but I, do, but, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, what I, I, I want to do what is right, but I can't. See, the scripture is very clear. It cuts to the quick with us, doesn't it? We might go to, to therapists or whatever and try to get a, them to convince us that we're okay. But without addressing the sin problem, friends, we're not okay. We are not okay. All of us struggle in the same struggle as Paul but that's what the the scriptures tell us, right? Moody, D.L. Moody, he used to say that you could take a thief, a common thief, maybe one who worked for a railroad who used to steal the the spikes and go sell them as scrap metal. You could take that thief and send him to college and now you'll have just a smarter thief. He says, it's not going to fix the heart, you know? And many people believed that culture and education was going to revolutionize the world and bring peace and justice everywhere. It didn't work. After World War II, everybody, not everybody, actually after World War I, a lot of people believed that after such a disastrous, disastrous war, that it would be the war to end all wars. And did it? No. It didn't, and it won't. And the next one won't, because the scripture tells us who we are. And without Christ, we're not in a good shape. The third thing, the third reason why we're going to believe, I believe that the scriptures are believable, is that it's the rule. It is the rule according to Jesus. And first thing is that the historical Jesus is truly undisputed. There isn't anybody in, in any kind of a culture today that has any exposure that doesn't know that Jesus Christ lived. Now, a lot of theologians, especially in in major seminaries that reject the Word of God, their claim is going to say, yes, there was a Jesus, but he didn't become God until his followers decided to try to make him God after he was dead. That's what their line is going to be. That's what they're going to tell you. But I would have to ask them, if I were discussing it, I'd say, and and, and to what purpose would they do that? So that they could retire to beautiful villas on the Mediterranean? I don't know of any apostles or disciples that did that, do you? These men, these women gave their lives, not for a lie, but for the truth that they knew that Jesus Christ, in fact, died and rose from the dead. So let's look at Matthew twenty-two, verse twenty-five. This is a this is one of my favorite passages. Let me give the background because we're not going to read all the all the verses just for time. This is where um, where the Sadducees come to Jesus, and the Sadducees they believed the first five books of the bible the pentateuch but they rejected the rest of it and because of that they did not believe in resurrection and so they come to jesus with this with this story and they say okay suppose there were seven brothers the oldest one married and then died without children so his brother married the widow and next one is it there yeah but the second brother also died and the third brother married her This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, they're putting this to Jesus, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? You know, this isn't going to make any sense. For all seven were married to her. And Jesus replied, and I love this, your mistake is that you do not know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Remember last week's message, right? The power of God, the scriptures, it comes back. And, and, and then um, Jesus goes on, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living So pause with me there for a moment. Think about this. If he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is not the God of the dead, where are these guys? They're alive. That's what he's saying, right? I love this one at a funeral service. If the person is a believer, I say, look, this person's God is not the God of the dead. This person isn't dead. The body lies here, but this person lives in the presence of God, right? This this is, see, the Sadducees did this. They would pick and choose what they wanted to believe. If we're going to believe the Bible, we ought to believe all the Bible, okay? Because it is believable. It is worthy of our trust. In Luke chapter 24 This is the episode where Jesus, after being resurrected, catches up with two men who are walking toward the village of Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And as they're walking, he's talking to them, and he asks them, what are you guys talking about? And one says, where have you been? Don't you know what's been going on in Jerusalem? This man that we thought was going to be the Messiah, they put to death, and now it's already the third day. And for them, that was significant because they had an idea that by the third day, the body could still come back. The life could come back to the body. But after the third day, all bets were off. That's the significance of that part. And Jesus says to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus at the end and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as acted as if he were going on but they begged him, stay, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke the bread, broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't, didn't our hearts burn within us? as he talked with us on the road and explain the scriptures to us. That's what the scriptures do. If we allow God to do that, his word comes to us and it burns within us. And we want it to. We want it to leave its mark, don't we? Right? And so here we are asking ourselves, okay, as followers of Jesus Christ, at times, we suffer great sadness, right? We have setbacks. We have disappointments. We have hard, hard losses. Many of you have lost loved ones due to COVID or even other things, right? And life itself is hard. Luke 24, verse 17. Backing up in that same context, Jesus asked them earlier, he says, what Are you discussing so intensely as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their face. The New American Standard has it this way. He said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. These were disciples of Christ. We only know the name of one of them. But we know that they followed, and they had great expectation that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And up to that point, it hadn't been fulfilled. They hadn't understood. But that was about to change, wasn't it? Because as he explained the scriptures to them, suddenly they recognized it. They saw him for who he was, and they realized, in fact, that he was the Messiah. You see, it's only the truth of scriptures that can open up our eyes, that can restore our hope, that can make our joy complete. And the bottom line is this, friends, is that everybody in this room, everybody who is listening, either at home or wherever, every one of us, every one of us believe something. Every one of us. All of us have a theology theology. I told you last week, if you don't believe that there's a God, then that's your theology. If you believe that there's a God but you can't know him, that's called agnostic, that's your theology. But everybody has a theology. Everybody does. Everybody has a belief. My question to us is, what are you willing to believe? What are you willing to put your trust in? Because the bottom line is, there is nothing that has more evidence than the word of God to put your trust in. But you know, the only thing that is going to prove that to you or to me is that if you can stand after the fact and say, you know what, I put my trust, and God has changed my life. God has changed my life. And that's what he wants to do with us, anybody here. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, If you've never said, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner, and all of us know we are, right? We don't have to have anybody tell us that. But you have to say, Lord, I want to accept your death on the cross as payment for my sin. He will pay those. He will pay that debt. And from that point on, for eternity, you are forgiven. You are his. So I'm going to ask if there's anybody here who hasn't ever done that, who hasn't fully understood the gospel, I ask you not to be ashamed, not to be shy. Again, we do not purpose ever to embarrass anybody. And I wouldn't even push it upon you, but I want to make sure that you understand the gospel. And if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, our goal, our job, is to make it clear to them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to to bring them. But we want to make sure that it's clear. Is there anybody... then my question is this. For those of us who are in Christ, I praise God. I know that each and every one of you, I know that each and every one of you have a testimony. And I am going to challenge you either tonight or tomorrow to go home and to write out your testimony. I want you to say, this is who I was. This is how I met Christ, how he brought me to himself. And this is where I am today. Because I want you to be prepared when you come face to face with the next person that God's going to bring to your path to share the gospel with them. And they may have the same arguments that you've heard here. Oh, I don't believe it because the man wrote the Bible. And you can say yes. And and they can say because there's errors. And you can say, yeah, let's, let's talk about that but you can share with them the reality of Christ in you and the power that has transformed our lives. Amen. So this is your assignment. Your assignment from last week, three verses, remember? I know that. My Redeemer lives. His banner over me is love, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your assignment tonight is to go home and write out your testimony. And I would encourage you to do it within a page, okay? Because sometimes you don't have half an hour to share the gospel with somebody. Sometimes you're on the bus and you've got, you've got five minutes and you want to be prepared for God to use you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God. Who would have thought, Lord, that you could use me Lord, that you could use any of us, that you would want us, Father, and yet you call us to yourself. You died for us, Lord. You want us so badly. We thank you, Lord, that your banner over us is love. We thank you, Lord, that you allow us, Father, to draw your power to accomplish your work all to your glory. We pray and thank you, Lord, for everyone, Lord, in this room, for everybody listening at home or wherever they are, Lord. Bless them, encourage them, strengthen them, Lord. Lift their voices high as they worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Anthony has shared with us the reason we could believe it because the word is reliable. It's realistic and it's the rule. And I don't know where you stand with God with that. I don't know if you have felt like God has let you down and he's not reliable. Maybe you have felt like, you know what, it's not real. I mean, (laughs) it presents a life that nobody could even live, yet it's proven that it has been lived. Or you're not using it as a rule, as a standard of your life. And maybe you just want prayer. Maybe you need prayer for something else. But I just want to make sure that we leave really reconciling with God, saying, you know what, God? I've really wrestled with the Bible. I've kind of thrown it aside a few times because I didn't really know if it was even reliable. But tonight, I really come to realize it is. I didn't know how realistic it was. God, you have revealed yourself to me and made it real. And I want to use it as a rule for my life and my families. So if you want prayer, please make your way up as we sing this song to just release all of our worries, fears, anxieties to the Lord. Amen. thank you so much for your reliability thank you lord god for your faithfulness you have been so 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 good to us father god when we've been at our worst you've still been so good and when we've been at our best you've still been so good thank you lord thank you for revealing yourself to us for being such a real god you've shown us that life brings struggle And you displayed struggle throughout the scriptures. We sin and you showed us how to conquer sin. That sin takes place, but the power of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, (laughs) supersedes it and raises us up. And you've shown us, Father God, that your word is the way, the truth, and the life. It's truly a reliable source, a realistic source to live our life by so, Father God, I pray that, Lord, as we leave here today, we leave with a whole new perspective of the Word of God and that we live according to it.
2: Whatever else
3: we might be going through, I pray in Jesus' name that you take care of every need. Father God, I pray that you meet the need of everyone in this room and everyone at home. Father God, those watching online, impact them the way you've impacted us tonight. We pray in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and God's people. Shout out. Amen. So don't forget this Friday. I need volunteers at 1030 and we start distributing at 12 noon. God bless you.